This is another Poets at War general report. And here is your acting general, Alexander Robertson. Art, comma, a Christian view of, by Alexander Robertson. Finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there is any excellence, and if anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things. Philippians 4.8, NASB 95. These words, written by the Apostle Paul, are some of the most important for guiding the life of any Christian. They show us how we ought to focus our most precious resource, attention, and therefore, time. To one who is familiar with classical thought, this list will harmonize with the three transcendentals, those values that, in purely logical thought, cannot be rooted in anything deeper, or, in Christian thought, those values that are inherently recognized by the image of God. These are truth, goodness, and beauty. Truth is mentioned as the first point in Paul's list. Goodness corresponds with honorable, right, and of good repute. And beauty could match with several of them depending on the way in which the term is used. Pure, lovely, and excellence could each be used to define beauty. Truth, goodness, and beauty have each been defined in different ways at different times. But in modern times, they have all been attacked to various levels of success. Truth once meant conformity to fact or reality exact accordance with that which is, or has been, or shall be, according to Webster's 1828. But now one would be lucky to find someone who would give anything more substantial than whatever a person thinks is right to define truth, and most would give a series of nebulous platitudes. Goodness might have been the least affected of the three, seeing as most people still believe that bad things are in fact bad, though the continuing acceptance of abortion and homosexuality are exceptions that I take as the first losses in the battle against goodness. However, I would argue that the attacks on beauty have been infinitely more successful than the attacks on the other two. The fact that we don't have any frame of reference for a standard of beauty any longer is one of the things that speaks to this reality. Another is the excessive popularity of the phrase, beauty is in the eye of the beholder. I will not attempt to hide the ball here at all. I absolutely detest subjectivism. I am convinced that though shades of gray exist in nearly every issue, every issue has a definite dividing line of correct and incorrect. That line may be, and quite often is, very difficult to find, but saying that we cannot know whether something is or is not true, or is or is not good, or is or is not beautiful, only serves to make the conversation more difficult to have. So, with that being said, I believe that beauty, along with the other transcendentals, can be assessed and objectively quantified. Before we go on, we ought to define our terms, chiefly beauty, subjectivism, and objectivity. Though we will certainly define more than those before we are through, I believe that these are a good start. First, beauty. Now, if you were to go up to any random person off the street, I doubt that one in 100 would be able to give a competent definition. The work of Beauty is in the Eye of the Beholder has been done well. Now, to be fair, beauty is a rather nebulous concept, and a direct definition can be quite difficult to ascertain. So, I would suggest that we might get close by looking at the company it keeps, namely, truth and goodness. A Christian definition of goodness is rather easy to obtain. No Webster defines goodness as the qualities that constitute Christian excellence. I would define it more pointedly as behavior which comports with the nature and character of God. Truth is also rather easy to define. The correspondence view, the correct view, 
of truth states that truth is that which corresponds to reality. Now, as Christians, we have a very distinctive view of reality. The Apostle John begins his gospel by saying, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He later says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. One might ask what this has to do with the nature of reality, and I can understand the confusion, so I will attempt a brief explanation here. The Greek word that John uses for word in this passage is logos, and logos had a particular meaning in Greek philosophical thought. Logos was thought to be the ordering principle of the universe, or, according to Britannica, the divine reason implicit in the cosmos, ordering it and giving it form and meaning. So, when John identifies Jesus as the Logos, he is saying that Jesus is that which causes the universe to be as it is. The concept of Logos is also the place where we get our term logic. So, a Christian could accurately say that Jesus is the source of all logic. All of this leads us to a proper Christian definition of truth, and I would posit that which corresponds to the nature of God as that definition. With these definitions being set, each in reference to God and his nature, I see no reason why we ought to define beauty in any different way. Truth, goodness, and beauty are not synonyms. They have distinct meanings, but they are interrelated. That which is true ought also to be good and beautiful, and if it is not, then it is less true than it would be if it were. Side note, one of the ways the mathematicians tell whether or not their calculations are correct is to look at it plotted out and ask whether or not it is beautiful. If it is, it is probably true. If they are all defined in reference to the same thing, and they are all interrelated, how, then, do we define them as distinct concepts? I would make the distinction between these three in this way. Truth is the revelation of God's nature intellectually. Goodness is the revelation of God's character morally. And beauty is the revelation of God's character aesthetically. If this is true, then the fundamental question that we ought to ask in every situation relating to truth, goodness, and beauty, so every situation, is, what does God think in this situation? Almost everyone would agree with this process in matters of truth and goodness. Question 1. Is it true that white people are better than black people? Answer 1. No, God doesn't make that distinction and has said that all men are made in the image of God. Question 2. Is it right to steal this wallet from my neighbor? Answer 2. No, God has said that stealing is wrong because your neighbor's property is not yours. But for some reason, when we get to the questions of beauty, we completely leave God out of it because man is God. I mean, beauty is in the eye of the beholder. Now I realize that this may be considered harsh, that the quote on beauty has nothing to do with God, but I would disagree. If, of the three transcendentals, God gets to define the first two and man gets to define the third, that raises man and his preference to the level of God. There is no other way to look at it. In this vein, we have to look at Jackson Pollock's satanic paintings, or actual satanic paintings, and Michelangelo's paintings, and put them on the same level of beauty. Anyone should be able to look at Lavender Mist beside the creation of Adam and intuitively understand that one is superior to the other. One is more beautiful. Now, it is very difficult for us in the group of modernity to say these things, but I believe that this is a challenge that we must face and overcome before we can move on to important conversations like, how can Christians create the best art? While we are on the topic, a definition of art would probably be helpful. The definition I have settled on is a creation of man which reflects a portion of the world that God created. I would further add that the quality of any piece of art should be judged by the value provided by that reflection. On to the next word. Subjectivism. 
Oxford's Dictionary gives this definition. The doctrine that knowledge is merely subjective and that there is no external or objective truth. This is a good definition, and I have no qualms with it. If we were to, for some reason, apply this thought to beauty, there is no better way to describe it than by saying something like, beauty is in the eye of the beholder. This philosophy is universally acknowledged to be cancerous to truth and goodness in orthodox Christian circles. But for some reason, when brought up in relation to beauty, we eat up, beauty is in the eye of the beholder, with a spoon right out of the damned carton it came out of. Objectivism is the concept that there is a true reality that exists outside of ourselves and is independent of our personal perception. Imagine that we are outside taking a hike. It is a cool fall day with the scent of winter in the air. Far in the distance, only visible because of the hill we stand on, a large bonfire burns high in the field of a farmer. A birthday celebration? Anniversary? General family get-together? Ahead, a young couple are coming down the hill on the same path we are on. He wears jeans and a long sleeve shirt. She wears sweatpants and his Carhartt jacket. As we pass them, a little off the path, a red sandstone rock juts out of the ground. That looks like a crashed spaceship, I say. No, you say? It looks like a castle's keep. See the door to the root cellar off the side? Yeah, that little rock looks more like a fin that broke off on impact. Then we continue on our way, agreeing to disagree. Now some might say that agreeing to disagree means that subjectivism is correct. A contradiction in terms, but anyways. That statement is false. In this scenario, we have a disagreement on what the shape of the rock most closely resembles. But that rock actually exists, and can be accurately described as red, sandstone, moss-covered, and, taxonomically, sedimentary. The rock really exists as such, and if I were to say, that rock is black and granite, instead of, that rock looks like a castle's keep, I would be, what people used to say, in the good old days of the year 2000, wrong. And the reason I am wrong is because the rock exists outside of my perception. It is its own creature. My perception is bound to the reality of the rock as it exists in the real world. Now, I know that my opponents in this discussion would never even think to say that a red rock might, in fact, be black. But when it is said that you cannot say that Starry Night is better than a canvas that resembles a painter's apron, they are, in essence, giving the game away. There is no definable difference in saying that truth is subjective and saying that beauty is subjective. And to head off this equally stupid statement at the pass, no, this is not just true for me. It is true. Whether you like it or not, this reality exists outside of any of us, and our likings or desires can do nothing more to change it than they can to change God himself. Shall go.